Thanks, brother. We will weep no more. Hi there. Interesting, because sometimes we don't portray the Christian faith as something that we struggle and suffer. This week, someone close to me lost his job and didn't go without notice. We were talking about James chapter 1, where, where James says, consider it all joy when you go through trials. And so if you're not going through trials right now, that's a blessing. As we said, ride that wave. James says, rejoice. But if you are going through trials, this is a test of our faith. This is where we learn to trust. This is where we hope in the Lord. This is where we pray that our faith will, will grow through these experiences. This morning, I want to invite you to turn to James chapter 2 today. We're going to look at another area of our faith. If you don't have a Bible, we have plenty of extras. If you're looking around, if you're visiting with us, you go, where's all the men from this church? Not all of them, because you're like, what, I'm not a man? Yeah, I get it. A lot of our men, a whole bunch of our men are on a men's retreat this weekend. So be in prayer for them as they're closing up this morning. Dr. Todd Williams from Cairn is the the guest speaker. Yesterday, I spoke at Seven Mile Road, a church down in Philly um, on fathering, and it's just encouraging to see the different ways God is working in in men's lives. But this morning, we're looking in James chapter 2, and we said that the book of James is a litmus test to find out if your faith is real and to see areas where your faith needs fixing or improving. And so in chapter 1, we learn that faith in the Lord responds to trials appropriately. Last Sunday, Pastor Bob showed us that faith responds appropriately to God's Word. It doesn't just hear it, it does what it says. But this morning, we're going to look at more of a a vertical demonstration of our faith. In chapter 2 of James, verses 1 through 13, we're going to talk about true faith is seen in how we treat other people. Now, it's interesting, even using the word treat people, right? Like, what do we mean by treat? So early on, did you ever notice this, that children, we interact with people, and so you're watching them when they're very young, and, and we're going, no, that's not how we treat people. We don't hit them. We don't take away things from them. We learn to share with them. We learn to care about them. And that's important because the Bible teaches that foolishness is bound in the hearts of children. We're we're born selfish, okay? But if that's all we're doing is teaching them how to treat people, and we're not talking about why, and we're not talking about how, the fundamental change of heart, then all we're doing is just making them better sinners because they just cover up their selfishness by giving external um, obedience to something that we haven't really thought about. So the whole concept here of of treating people is is so broad. But this morning, particularly what we're going to focus on is is the concept of favoritism. Went the wrong way here. Sorry about that. Favoritism. You see, one of the areas that we have to examine is that when we interact with people, It's not just how we treat them, it's also why we treat them a certain way. And so James is going to talk about favoritism. This, when when I was preparing for this, it reminded me of a a documentary I saw once on 2020 where they had hidden cameras in in, um, actors who would go and apply for a job, and they would give two people a very similar resume, 
and they would both apply for a job at a different time in the same place with the same qualifications, but they would have a model, a really attractive person, and then they would have a very plain person who just really didn't stand out by their appearance. And it was striking because they had hidden cameras. It was striking to see how much favoritism was shown to the good-looking people. It was almost, it, you had to laugh even though it was sad. So, so the guy who's interviewing, if she's a beautiful model, he's like, hey, listen, I'm pretty sure you're going to get this job. In fact, it says you get one week off, but I'm going to talk to the boss. I'm pretty sure you're going to get two weeks off, right? And then if it was somebody that wasn't attractive, they'd be like, well, don't call us, we'll call you. And you're like, people do that? And I'm going, come on. So, so what we're going to find here is that God's word is very practical because it, it, it transcends all of our cultures and it says, look, we all have to look at our hearts and ask ourselves, why do I treat people the way that I do? And in this passage, let's look at the, the context. These believers, most of them were poor and they were the minority. So these poor Christians, first of all, they were Jews. So they, they were now being rejected by their fellow Jews, Right. And so they're gathering in these little assemblies of poor Christians. It's the rich Jews who were oppressing them, exploiting them, which always happens. Rich people exploit poor people because they have no way to defend themselves. And so all of a sudden, James says, one day in your assembly, a rich man and a poor man comes in. They're both visiting. And he says... Think about what you do when the rich guy comes in. Think about what you do when a poor guy comes in and then ask yourself, why did I do that? And so I want us to read our passage and then we're going to loop around and talk about this concept of favoritism. Start in verse 1. My brothers, don't hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, And you pay special attention to the one who's wearing the fine clothes, and you say, hey, you you sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, yo, you stand over there. Sit down by my footstool. James says, hey, wait a minute. Haven't you just made distinctions among yourselves? Haven't you become judges with evil motives? So now he wants to reason to him. He goes, I want you to think about this. So you're throwing the, the, the poor guy under the bus, and you're flattering the rich guy. He goes, listen, my beloved brethren, didn't God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you've dishonored the poor man. So God has chosen many of them to be saved. You're dishonoring them. Isn't it? He says, you're favoring the rich guy. Isn't it the rich people who are oppressing you and dragging you into court? Isn't it the rich people who are blaspheming the name of Jesus by which you're called? Now, there's always exceptions. He goes, you know, maybe some of you, if however, some of you, he says, are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. But if you show this favoritism, this partiality, he says, you're committing sin and you are convicted by God's law as a a transgressor. Now, I think what we might do there is go, well, Yeah, but I mean, come on, it's not that big of a deal. And what James is going to show us is that God's will for the Christian is is a holistic thing. It's not a buffet where you go, as long as I obey this, it's not a big deal if I don't obey this. Look at how he holistically says, if you're doing this, don't, don't minimize it. 
verse 10, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he's become guilty of all. You, you can't pick and choose. He who said don't commit murder, he also said don't commit, or he who said don't commit adultery also said don't commit murder. So if you don't commit adultery but you commit murder, he says you're still breaking the law. Now at this point I'd expect him to say, so stop doing that and be nice to people. But instead he appeals to the concept of mercy. And I want you to think of this question. What does mercy have to do with treating people with favoritism? Because look, look where he goes in verse 12. He goes, so here's how I want you to act. Speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be merciless to those who show no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You're like, well, what's, what's, what's mercy have to do with this? So, so we want to go back and look at that. Lord Jesus, please speak to us now through your word, and I thank you that the Bible changes our lives. So we depend on your Holy Spirit to grow us, shape us, feed us, encourage us, or convict us. We thank you in your name, amen. As we receive the Bible, right, sometimes God just shines light into your heart, and, and it pierces in, and, and God's going, okay, this is what you're doing, this is what I want you to do. Okay, so if you're, if, if you're on the right path, we grow, we encourage, this is what it means to be a disciple. But God may be speaking to you as he does to me when I'm preparing and say, okay, Tom, you need to work on these things, okay? So some people are uncomfortable with that. I don't want to go to a church. It makes me feel bad. That's a good thing. If, if the preaching of the word, the Bible says, reprove and rebuke and exhort people so that they grow, okay? I, I love K-love, positive, encouraging, but we also need to be corrected and, and shown. And so... So hopefully as Christians we'll grow here. Now James isn't saying do this and you'll get to heaven. So let, let's make sure we get the big picture here. You don't get to heaven by keeping God's laws. But if you're a Christian motivated by grace, God wants to change us. So our, our, our mission is to advance the gospel. We want people to become saved. So for example, I love what Austin's doing. Austin has a gift of evangelism. So he's constantly equipping Christians. He's, he's inspiring people to learn how to share their faith. In fact, I want, to, want you to make a note in, in the current, you'll notice in a couple weeks, he's going to be doing a crosstalk on the 21st at 11 on how to share the gospel. If you're intimidated, we're going to talk about how to share the gospel with those around us despite the powerful influences that oppose our message. So, I become a Christian, I'm forgiven, and Jesus goes, okay, now, here's how I want you to live. I want you to passionately love God and love your neighbor. You go, well, how do I do that? And James goes, well, let's talk about this. Let's talk about how you treat people. So we'll look at this first section. When he says in verse 1, don't hold your faith with a personal favoritism, it's a really interesting Greek word. Literally, in Greek, it says, don't receive a face. Don't receive a face. They use this word about Jesus. Jesus, you defer to no one. You don't receive a face, Right? So the idea here is to make judgments about people based on their physical appearance, their social status, their race, some external thing that causes me to give a priority to some people and to lessen others. That's called receiving a face. Don't do that. Don't show favoritism. He goes, because after all, he goes, you have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. James only mentions Jesus twice in this book. But look what he says about him. Our, our, our glorious Lord. So what does he mean by that? Jesus is literally, it's the Lord of glory. Jesus isn't just some good teacher. 
I, I, I was talking with, I met a Jewish man this week. I was playing tennis with him, and he was telling me all about um, his job and how his father taught him to carefully read and, and how he switched his, his, um, his political agenda and his views based on thinking and reading, and he studied the Hebrew background and Hebrew religion, and I said, that's great. I said, so tell me this. Do you believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ? Like James says, these Jews had done our Lord of glory, Jesus the Messiah. And he goes, no. I said, so, so Jesus is not the Messiah. Why isn't he the Messiah? He goes, because he just isn't. I said, no, I know you don't believe he is, but why? Well, he isn't. I said, all right, well, you told me that your father taught you to read and think and you've studied Judaism. How are you going to know who is the Christ? Who is the Messiah? Do you know what the Old Testament says? The Old Testament says he's going to suffer, he's going to rise, he's going to come again, he's going to be born in Bethlehem, born of a virgin, he's going to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. Who is the Messiah if it's not Jesus? And he had nothing. He finally said, I don't want to talk about this. Okay? But as a Christian, we're privileged to hold our faith in the Lord Jesus. He's the Messiah. He's the Lord of glory. And then James says, "So, so if you're going to claim to know Jesus... Don't treat people with favoritism. And here's why. Look at verse 4. Because when you do that, you've made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives. So I want you to think about this. It's very important as a Christian to not just think about doing the right things, but we also have to think about why we do things. The Bible calls that our motives. And I want to give you a heads up. This is important. The Bible says one day when we stand before God, he will disclose two things, the things we did in secret and the motives of our heart. First Timothy, or First Corinthians 4, verse 5. So, the, so, so think about that. Those two things have this in common. You can externally do things right when people are looking, right? Because that's what's most important to you. And meanwhile, have a secret life. And some of you may be doing that. You may be doing that with your parents. You may be doing that with your Christianity. You act one way, when people see you, you act another way when people aren't around that are Christians. That's called the secret things, and God's going to expose those things. But secondly, the Bible says he's going to expose our motives, right? So, so it's not just what we do, but why we do it. Because there are some really nice people, but in God's sight, it's not pleasing because they're not being nice for the right reasons. So there's, there's three reasons that we show favoritism that I can think of. Number one, and this one's the most obvious, we show favoritism because we want favors from people, right? I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to say, why would, when a rich guy comes in, they go, hey, um, you sit right here. Well, of course, this guy's got moolah. He could build the next synagogue. You know, he might let me borrow his Lexus chariot, right? So sometimes we favor people for, for what we could get from them, okay? Now, I know you don't, but, but weaker people still do this, right? Why, why, would, why would a guy show favoritism to a pretty girl? Oh, gee, I don't know, right? Come on, right? So I, 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 I'm sorry to say this, but sometimes husbands, when they bring home flowers, might be the right thing, wrong motive, wrong reason. I read a funny story once. This guy was coming home from New York City and his train got held up. He had bought his wife flowers, right, during the day. But everything got backwards, blah, blah, blah. He didn't get home till like 3 o'clock in the morning. When he finally got off the train and he's walking down his street, right, 
Some guy pulls up alongside of him. He sees this guy at 3 o'clock in the morning walk with flowers. He goes, buddy, if you're just getting home now, you're going to need more than flowers, right? <laughs> so, so God's just saying to me and you, hey, why, why do you treat your spouse the way you do? Why do you treat your kids? Why do you treat certain people the way they do? So I want you to think about there's two ways that we can interact with people. One is we can be consumers, right? So all of our interactions with people are what we get from them right? That's our natural bent. That's what sinners do, to use people, right? Or we can learn to be servants as God changes our hearts. And so, I remember once one of my daughters said to me when she was little, I asked her to do something. She goes, you just had me so I could serve you, (laughs) right? And I said, and the sooner you get that, the easier your life's going to be, right? Because you remember, you know, when is it's, it's Father's Day, Mother's Day, when's Kids Day? And we're like, don't even, don't, don't, don't go there, right? So, but, but it's possible to use your kids, right? You go to a sports game and you see parents flipping out and you're going, dude, these are four-year-olds playing soccer. Stop trying to vicariously be a great soccer star through your son, right? Or why is it so important if your son becomes, you know, a, a, a great person, a great doctor, a great politician, right? Is it to make you look good? I had to struggle this when my son had lost his way, and I'm reading the Bible. It says, if a man's a pastor, he must manage his household well. And I noticed inconsistency, so I would be harder on my son if he did something in front of others. Why? Because that's how it makes me look. And I'm like, God, gee, I need you to help me not to, not to treat people differently. If I'm in athletics, right? What about the person who's not as gifted? At work, what about... They don't bring much to the table. So the first reason that... That, that we sometimes favor people is we have a, a bad motive, okay? We want something from them. I'll give, give you a, a great example. Jesus actually said something really profound. He goes, when you have a lunch or dinner, don't just invite your friends, your brothers, or your relatives, or your rich neighbors. You know, why would anybody do that? He goes, because if you do that, they might invite you in return. He goes, and if that's why you're doing it, that is your repayment. That's all you get. So if you're like, oh, they have a beach house. Let me invite them over because summer's here. People in Florida get this. No one ever calls them in the summer, right? Then around January, like, hey, we're going to be in the neighborhood. Um, do you know a really cheap place we could stay, right? So, so Jesus goes, don't, don't do things for people so they can reciprocate. So he says, when you give a party, invite poor, crippled, lame people and you will be blessed because they can't even repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Right? And I think of this as a teacher. It could be something as basic as working in the nursery. You know? Which kid do you want to hold? Somebody else. And I get it. I mean, if the kid's, you know, his diaper needs changing or something, oh, I'll get this one. Right? But sometimes appearance, you know, who is the person? anything, your classmates, your teachers, your parents. So, so we all have to go, all right, I don't want to favor people. Secondly, another reason why we, we favor people is because of fear, right? We sometimes treat people differently and partially because we're afraid of how they're going to react. So sometimes Christians go, oh, I can't confront them. I know what they're going to... The, the Bible teaches us not to fear man, but to fear God and to worry about what God thinks, not what man thinks. I saw this one time. I was in line at a pizzeria and there was a long line of people, right? And this guy comes walking in, and he just walks past the line, and he goes right up to the counter, and he goes, yeah, excuse me, I want to place my order. 
And I go, excuse me, sir. I said, there's a line here. And he gets from, oh, I didn't know. I'm sorry. Yeah. He's real mad at me. And I thought to myself, if that guy was six foot eight, 240 pounds, would I have said, hey, I recommend the pepperoni. It's really good. Let me hear. Yeah. Because <laughs> I figure I could take this guy. But if you're doing that, that's fearing men, right? That's I'm more worried about what people think. I'm not going to witness to them, you know, they might, I, that might affect my career, or I might not get a date with her, or so, so I'm not going to confront them because, you know, they're the president of my kid's PTO, and I don't want to, so, so, so we favor people because we want favors or because we fear them, or we forget our role. I like this. He goes, when you do that, he goes, you've become judges. In other words, you've changed the hymnal. It's now holy, 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 holy. You've climbed up and added one more person to the triune God. You're going to help God judge. Frequently in the Bible, it says, listen, stop judging one another's servants. Each man must stand before God. So sometimes I forget my role. When I'm partial to people, I'm like, oh, so you're their judge now? I thought God, so you're going to go, oh, that guy's worthless. What does he bring? That kid's worthless. What does he bring? That person doesn't have any value, right? It could happen in church. It could happen anywhere. So James says, look, if you're favoring people, stop it. Treat people with fairness. Now, the second thing he's going to tell us is he goes, not only that, but favoritism, you might not know it, but you're putting yourself at odds with God. It would be kind of like turning around going, ain't that right, God? And he goes, no, that, that's not exact. No, no. Because he says, think about how God views poor people and rich people. It's very different from how humans do. In fact, there's a striking verse in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus said, that which is highly esteemed by men is detestable in the sight of God. You mean, God, a lot of things that we think are awesome, you think are horrible? And he's, yeah, that's kind of true. Not everything. But the Bible says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So Christians, we got our nose in this book, and we have the Holy Spirit in us. And the Bible says, we have the mind of Christ, and spiritual people appraise all things. We're learning to look at the world, not through what the world says. Ooh, popular, movie star, whatever, attractive, beautiful, rich, wealthy, famous. We look at things the way God looks at things, because we're reading the Bible. So James gives us a really important principle concerning wealth. And it's simply this, that people in this world who have little, right, often find the gospel promises attractive. I could tell you without blinking that there will be way more poor people in heaven than rich people. Now, it's not because God loves poor people and hates rich people. But, but James goes, listen, I want you to think about this. If you... If you Look down on poor people. He goes, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith? Now, it doesn't mean God looks down and he says, everybody on earth who's poor, that I'm going to bring them to heaven. But the fact is the majority of people come to Christ, come to Christ because they're poor and broken. And God did this on purpose. And we often do the exact opposite. Ooh, I hope that movie star gets saved because think about how they'll influence everybody. And God's going, did you not hear what I said? In fact, he actually says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The, the Corinthians had got caught up with this, not so much wealth, but for them it was wisdom. I want to be really influential and noble and smart. 
And, and Paul says to the Corinthians, look around in your church, consider your calling. He goes, there aren't many wise people according to the flesh. In your assemblies, there's not a whole lot of mighty people. I don't see a bunch of princes and, and great victorious gladiators. He goes, there's not a whole lot of noble people. He goes, look around. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. Why does God do that? So that, the Bible says, no flesh will boast in his presence. So as you think about how you view people, you may look down on poor people. And what, do they, what do they bring to the table? And God's going, they're precious to me. They're the ones, the majority of them, that I'm bringing to myself. Now, hear me carefully. The Bible doesn't say that there aren't any rich people. It says there aren't many. Right? And, and, and it's pretty simple. Like, if, if I were to say to you, let's go door-to-door visitation, right? And we'll start here in Yardley. Okay, what kind of a reception will we get when we knock on people's doors in Yardley and say, hey, I'd like to see if you're interested in talking about the Lord versus if you went door-to-door in the row homes of Trenton? I can assure you, you will get a lot more people that are open, right? So Jesus said it's hard for rich people to enter the kingdom of God. Not impossible, it's hard. Why? Because they got what they want in this life. They don't have any need for God. They're they're often proud. They're self-sufficient. They don't see their needs. And so we need to think about the poor and the broken and the outcast and realize that those are the people that God's often bringing to himself. So don't put yourself at odds with God by going, I just want to reach the movers and shakers when God's going. So then James says, and, and, and let's just use some reason. He goes, beside that, he asked him a couple other questions. He said, you dishonor poor people. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? see, that's what rich people do. Not all of them, but a lot of them exploit people. They take advantage of them, and they know that they can get away with it because poor people have no recourse, that nobody can stand up for them. They don't have the money to, to get a lawyer, and so they lose nine times out of ten. And so this isn't any condemnation if you're a rich person, you do this, but this is just how life works, and none of us should have our head in the sand and go, no, I get that, Right? So, but, but, but here's what the rich do have. He says, God has made them rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. See, and that's what's cool because while a poor person might be going, I don't even know how I'm going to feed my kids. But man, one day we just sang, I'm going to sit down and feast and weep no more. I had an African student say to me, do you know what it's like, Tom, when I lived in, in Liberia, my seven children come to me and say, Daddy, we're hungry. We don't have any food. And he'd say, I don't know what to tell you. Just go and drink some water and pray right? And then one day we opened the door and there's a basket of fruit and sugar on the front porch. Never knew who put it there, right? But yet people who have nothing in this world are longing for that day. We sing about weeping now. We're like, what do we got to weep about? My football team's in first place. I just got a promotion. It's like, wait a minute. Don't put yourself at odds with God by valuing what God's like. That's not, that's not what we, that's not how we roll, So, third question, he says, isn't it the rich people who blaspheme the fair name by which you've been called? Verse 7. What does that mean? Some people direct their hostility towards Jesus, right? And we need to understand that that's normal. 
We have been deceived in American culture by going, what you do is just witness by your life. Just be nice, right? And all will be chill. But if you start talking about Jesus, come on. And I'm going, do you know how silly that is? Jesus said, here's why the world hates me. Because I tell them that they're evil. And he goes, and if they hated me, they're going to hate you. And so Jesus said, beware if everyone speaks well of you. If you never talk about Jesus, right? Well, yeah, everybody might like you, but you're not doing God's will, okay? You don't have to be annoying and tell them, you're going to hell, you better accept Jesus. But talk about Jesus and recognize if you do, the Bible says all who live godly in Christ will be persecuted. Start talking about Jesus, and I promise you one thing will happen. Somebody's not going to like it, okay? Now, don't do it on purpose. Don't go out to try to annoy people. Do it because you want to win them, right? So when this guy and I are talking, he's having a great time talking about politics. But once I start talking about Jesus, and he's like, I don't want to talk about this anymore because I'm going to get annoyed. And then he said, I want you to read this. I said, you want me to read something political? I said, all right, I want you to read something about the Bible. No, I don't want to do that, right? So he goes, think about it. The Bible says, if you are reviled for the name of Christ, you're blessed. Jesus said, blessed are those who persecute you for my name's sake. You will be rewarded in heaven. So if you're still living in the fear of what people are thinking of you, you need to make a decision. Do I want to follow Jesus and worry about what he thinks of me? Or do I want to fear man and worry about what they think about me? Because you can't do both. Paul said in Galatians 1.10, if I was still trying to please man, I wouldn't follow Christ. What a sad and, and bondage way to live. I'm more worried about what everybody thinks about me. At the end of the day, what does it matter what they think about us? Right? What matters is what does Jesus think? Now, I get it. I'm not sitting here saying, oh, I'm, I'm graduated from the school of what do people think. I care, but I try to beat that down when it's pride and fear and go, wow, James, you got a good point. Why would I favor people who are hostile to the gospel? Putting yourself at odds with God. So now James says, all right, let, let's think about this. If you're showing favoritism, you're failing to fulfill God's law of love. Okay? One of the things that we as Christians need to understand is that when you become a Christian, you are completely forgiven by God's grace, right? But then God has a revealed will in Scripture for us to follow and obey. Jesus said, go and make disciples and teach them to obey. Jesus said, not people who call me Lord, but those who do the will of God are those who are going to heaven. We obey God because we're forgiven, but as we obey God, we're like, well, what does that look like? Well, here James calls it the royal law, the law of liberty. So, so let's look at this passage because he goes, all right, so if you are fulfilling the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. That's good. So if you're treating people the way God treats them and you're loving them sacrificially, you're not doing it just to get something back. Jesus said, if somebody asks you to loan them something, just loan it to them. Give, be generous, forgiving. He says, if you're doing that, if you're treating people sacrificially, you're doing well. But if not, if you show partiality, you are committing sin. You're like, James, that's very blunt. That wasn't, that wasn't very nice. That's, that's very direct. Where's your filter? James says, you're convicted by the law as transgressors. And I think what we have to see here is that, as I said, when it comes to being obedient to God, this is what really challenged me. 
it's very easy when we have one area that we know we're not obeying to double up on the other areas, right? Well, yeah, I know I'm not doing that, but you know what? I read my Bible even more. I prayed a little longer. And James is going, it doesn't work that way. God's will for us is a whole unit. You can't pick and choose and say, well, you know, that, that, that area, that's not my strength, so I don't really focus on that. That's the very thing he says, all right. So he says, if you're keeping the law in one area, but you're, you're desperately failing in another area, you're not fulfilling God's law of love. You've become guilty of all. And you go, well, that seems kind of hard. What do, what do I do here? Well, at the end of the day, God's going to evaluate us. He's going to say, how did you treat other people? How did you treat your spouse? How did you treat your parents? How did you treat your children? Now, if we're all honest, we go, oh, man, I failed, okay? And that's why we have the gospel. We run to Jesus and say, Lord, forgive me. But then we, we try to grow. We try to change. We don't go, well, you know, I'm not perfect. I'm just forgiven. And James goes, no, I get that. But let's, let's work on this. Now, it's not as simple as just going, just try harder. Just be nice to your spouse. Just be sacrificial. Just serve people. The law gives us words, but no power. The gospel gives us wings and helps us fly, right? Without the Holy Spirit, Paul actually said this. He goes, God has put his spirit in us, Romans 8, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, right? If I were to just say, all right, this week, go out and love God with all your heart and love people with all your heart. Put them before you. And we all want, got it. Give me some pound, pastor, I got it. We're crazy, right? I won't even be out to the car yet before default, it's back to me, right? I need God. I need the Holy Spirit. I need to pray instead of just going, well, you know, this is just what we do. It's going, no, this is what God wants us to do, to learn, to serve, to sacrifice, to not do things, to get things back. I hate that about myself. I've been a Christian over 30 years, and I haven't graduated from the school of selfishness. And it's embarrassing to go, wow. Even when people go, oh, Pastor Tommy did this or that. But I know my heart at times, right? And you know your heart. So God's going, listen, I'm growing you, Tom. I'm growing you on the inside. So, so, so at the end of the day, God's saying, I want you to give your whole heart to loving me and loving others. And if the Holy Spirit's speaking to you about an area, you're like, well, I don't do this. But, but the Holy Spirit's going, yeah, but you're doing this. You know God doesn't want you to do this. Then, then I got to go, wait a minute. I can't just compartmentalize like a buffet. No, I, that, that part's not. We want to follow Christ and pray for one another. The Bible says you've been called to freedom, but don't use your freedom for the flesh. Through love, serve one another. So really, to love our neighbor is to forbid our church from discriminating against anyone who comes into the door. There's something interesting that, that struck me. He goes, if a man comes into your assembly, okay? Now, this is really kind of funny because there's all this chatter out there about church growth strategies. How are you going to grow your church? Are you a seeker service? Are you a seeker-friendly church? You know, so there's sort of these extremes. Some people believe that Sunday morning is for Christians only. It's when God's people gather to be built up and fed the word and we're, we're gathered to be equipped, and we scatter to evangelize, 
right? Whereas there's another extremist over here going, no, no, Sunday morning's a giant evangelistic conference. It's not for Christians. It's get them souls in here so we can get them saved. And there's what's called seeker services. That's all it's for. It's like a big evangelistic rally and have everybody come forward. And then some people go, well, we're seeker sensitive. I go, you know what? Can we just stop talking and just go, look, the reality is Sundays are for Christians together, but the fact is unbelievers come in. James says, if a man comes into your assembly, and you know what I thank God for? I praise God, because I've been in churches where people weren't coming in. And we are blessed that we have so many people that are regularly coming in here who aren't saved. Amen? And, and a lot of it is because you're inviting them. But I don't want you to think that that's the only thing that should take place, that, that you can't lead someone to Christ yourself. You need to come here, preacher Tom, he'll tell you how to be saved. We're trying to equip you so you learn how to sit down at the coffee shop and have a Bible study with people at work and, and begin to read the Bible with your kids, right? But you know, this is crazy because one time uh, uh, someone came in here from a different race and I knew them and I watched them. They came in. I was out in the hallway. They turn around. Two minutes later, they, they left. I said, hey, where are you going? They said, oh, we, we got the service times wrong. I saw them a few weeks later. I said, hey, I got a question. I said, I'm not buying it. I said, what do you mean, um, you, you, you had the service times wrong. And they said, well, actually, my husband was uncomfortable when we came in. And I said, was it something we did? Did somebody shun you because of your race? And they said, no, they were just uncomfortable. But you know what's crazy? Someone came up to me after the first service. He said, I've been here for, he said, I'm not complaining. I love it here. He said, but I've been here about four or five times. He said, not once has anybody reached out to me. Nobody said hi to me. I came in, and I left. And I don't tell you that to scold you, but I want you to think about this. Those of you who have ever been involved in a church plant, right, and there's only 12 people gathering, you're trying to grow the church, do you know what happens when an unbeliever comes in? Everybody's falling over the chairs. Hey, glad to see you. Come on over for dinner, right? But it's easy for a church to lose that focus and go, wait a minute. Now it's like, what are all these people doing? Well, I can't even get a parking spot. Yo, Right? So, so, so this, this visitor, this is what they said. They go, you know, look around right now, now, Tom. It was after service. And everybody was in their little group, right? And I thought, wow. I said, I appreciate you telling me that. He wasn't mad. He wasn't complaining. He just said, it is what it is. He said, and I'm starting to get connected. I said, but let me ask you a question. Did you get connected because somebody reached out to you? He said, well, no. Remember you had that day of that table? I went out there and signed up on the table. So something to be reminded of. Before and after the service, look around. If there's people you don't know, greet them. Hey, how you doing? I have this happen, and I'm the pastor. Hi, are you new here? No, I've been here for a year. And I just go back in my hole and stab myself. I'm like, why do I even bother him? So we're growing. So we, we don't know everybody. Sorry for that, if that was too graphic or analogy. But you get the point. Like, yeah, there's going to be people who have been coming forever, and you, you're like, oh, I'm sorry. But let's, let's be passionate about when people come in and dare not if people come in and go, oh, you know, a student of mine did this once. Now, he needs to be smacked, but, but he did this. He wore a skirt and he visited churches because he wanted to see how they would treat him. And he said, Tom, I got to tell you. He said, probably my favorite one was a little old lady who, who looped back around after the service and she said to him, I need to apologize to you. 
I saw you in a skirt and I had bad thoughts about you. What's a man doing in a skirt? And I feel really bad about that and I just want to come and introduce myself. Now again, that's why this guy needs to be beat because here this lady's dealing before the Lord and he's a joker, right? <laughs> but at the end of the day, it was, it was soul searching to think, what if somebody came in and they didn't fit the bill here, right? So I think we need to actually go out of our way to greet and, and, and welcome and show love to people. You know what my, my goal would be? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, I love this verse. He said, if an unbeliever comes into your midst and, and you're prophesying one by one, the secrets of his heart will be revealed and he will fall on his face and say, surely God is in their midst. That to me would be awesome, right? If you saw somebody on the way out, this is my first time here. What'd you think? Man, I, I, I'm blown away. I know one thing, God was in their midst, right? But sometimes I look around at, and I'm, I'm doing what James says not to do, I'm judging you, but I watch some of you sing. And I'm going, man, if I was new here, I'd be like, I think the words are about being happy or rejoicing, but their faces are betraying them. It doesn't look like they're trying very hard, right? And again, you're like, see, Brother Allen, you're judging me. You're right. Sorry about that. That's why I'm preaching this passage. But the idea would be, be conscious that you're like, oh, I don't feel like worshiping. God knows my heart. And I, I get that. But when people say, oh, I didn't get much out of the worship, I'm going, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know it was for you, right? Did we come to worship you so you get something out of it, right? No, we're, we're, we're praising God and we're worshiping. You're like, can I raise my hands? Can I, can I do more than use my cranium? Can I emote? Yes. You do it when you're watching a football game, right? You're like, do you want us to become them there Pentecostals and handling snakes and jumping off the... And I'm like, you know what, let's stop judging people. But sometimes I like what they're doing better than what we're not doing, right? And that is being authentic and sincere and worshiping God and, and, and being real and, and, and growing and loving people. So at the end of the day, James says, listen, how are you treating people? And so he closes by saying this, playing favorites isn't going to work. He said, being merciful to people is what works. So I think sometimes our attitude toward people needs a big adjustment. We have people we don't like, people that annoy us, and it's even harder when they're in our family. My kids are here right now going, he better not be talking about me. <laughs> but you get it. We're sinners. And God's saying, I want you to take a look at yourself, and this week I want you to think about how you treat people and why you do that. And when God shows you areas that you're not following Christ, ask his forgiveness and pray for the Holy Spirit to help you change. Amen? And if you would like to know how to find God and, and be forgiven of your sins, come and talk to us. We would love to point you to Christ. Thank you, Father, for mercy. Thank you that your mercy triumphed the judgment we deserved. So, Lord, here we are. We're sinners. We admit that we treat people partially at times, but we want to change. We want to welcome everybody here as a church. We want to love one another, rich, poor, black, white, whatever our race. We want to be a place where people see that Christians are real and growing and we want to love the Lord and we want to love other people. Thank you for choosing the despised and poor of this world. Thank you for choosing us. And Lord, help us to just go out and whoever you put us around, help us to love them and treat them the way you want us to treat them. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, God bless you. Have a great day. Go get your kids so the children's workers don't yell at me. Thank you. <laughs>